Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing this message here today. You guys are awesome, and thank you all for being here. It is an honor and privilege to gather with you and worship the Lord and be in His presence. You know, I'm reminded, and I pray this every single Sunday, uh, the truth that where two or more gathered in His name, He's in our midst. And so uh, I just thank you for being here and gathering in His name. And can we thank our worship team for leading us? It's awesome. Um, so good morning and, and, and welcome uh, to church. Uh, I'm super excited about this morning. I've been anticipating uh, I've been anticipating today and the kickoff of this fall uh, for a long time as we've been prayerfully considering what God's doing, where He's calling us, the direction we're going. And so we're starting uh, this morning a brand new 11-week series that we're going to spend in the book of John. And I am, I, I am so excited about that. And so I want to tell you a little bit about that. We're going to get into that today. We're going to kick the series off. But I want to give you a little bit up front of what it's going to look like over the next 11 weeks is that uh, we have, uh, one thing I'm really excited about is we're going to be teaching, it's going to be a very collaborative teaching approach this fall, is that we've, we've perfectly considered um, who all was going to participate in this teaching. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be me, and I'm going to primarily teach most of uh, this fall, but also Joe, who's, who sits on our board, is one of our elders, is going gonna, is gonna to teach. Steve Shaver, a lot of you know, he's, a, he's someone who mentors me. His son Jackson worked for us this summer as a student ministry intern, and then Sean James. And it, I'm really excited about that. We got together uh, the past few weeks and have planned out and talked through, and it's been really cool just to see how God brings those things together and sets things in our hearts that are so similar. And so not only are we going to have shared teaching, but the cool thing is that we're collaborating even throughout the week. And so every week, whoever's teaching that Sunday has another person on that team that they're going to be meeting with, getting together with, that's going to be praying through uh, the Scripture with them and, and, and trying to encourage them and, and to pray on their behalf. And so Steve and I met this week, and I shared with them what was on my heart, and, and he just read through that Scripture and prayed through that and sent me encouragement throughout the week. And so I'm just really excited about that and how the Lord has really uh, set, set and aligned our hearts together uh, for this teaching series. And, and we, as we gathered this last time and kind of set the schedule, we laughed because uh, if you are anyone, if you're like uh, a lot of people, your favorite book of the Bible for a lot of people is the book of John. And if you ask people and say, oh, what do you, what do you like? People will always say, man, my favorite, I love John, right? I love the book of John. And it's incredible uh, we, 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 to how, how rich and how simple it is all at the same time. So we laugh, we said, you know, if the apocalypse comes, Right, if, if 2020 is the year, right, we hit 2020 and apocalypse comes and we're, you know, none of us exist in a year from now, John is a good one to end on. Like, all right, if we're going to go out with a bang, John is the one. So hopefully, there, don't worry, there's no expectation or prophecy in that. But I'm just saying, John is a good one. And it's interesting, as, as we've gotten into John, well, let me, let me back up. So not only are we teaching over the next 11 weeks, it starts today on September 8th, and it will run through the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And so I am telling you, as you already know, that feels like a long time. 11 weeks feels like a long time, but in a blink of an eye, it will be, we'll be wrapping up the series and we'll be already probably tired of Christmas music and fall will be gone. And so I, 
not only are we teaching on Sunday mornings, but our small groups, as I, as I encourage you to participate in a small group, every one of our vessel groups is, is doing a John study this fall. And so we have books that are available, and they're going to be available out in the lobby afterwards, and you can pick up one of those books. It is $9 a book. You don't have to pay for it then. Just take the book, and um, next time, whether you, if, if you tithe or next Sunday that you're here, bring cash. And so they're $9. You can just put them in our grace gift boxes where we take our tithe and offerings, and it's an honor system. And the same way, if you've got someone or, you know, you're in a place where you can't really afford um, uh, to, to pay for the book, just take one. Uh, it's no sweat. Or if you know someone that you're encouraging to participate, take one for them. Don't feel obligated. And so um, please do that. And so not only are we be talking about on Sunday mornings and teaching through John, but our small groups are going to be focused on John. Uh, and then individually, the actual study itself, it's an 11-week study and a walk through the book of John. And it has daily reading. And I don't know if that's intimidating for you, but it is literally only five verses a day. And there's only five days a week uh, in that study. And so uh, it's asking you for five different days that week to read. And so I want to encourage you to really participate in that. And I promise you, I don't care if you are exploring Christ for the first time or unsure about what you think or believe or if you have been walking with Jesus for as long as you can remember, if you commit yourself to this, I promise the Lord will change you. And God will do something significant and mighty in your life. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying for in our church. That's what we're praying that the Lord would do during this time. And so uh, I'm really excited about that. So to give you a little bit about, uh, as as we're jumping in, I'll give you a little bit about John. Uh, He's really interesting. In a lot of ways, he's different from uh, some of the other disciples, uh, just as a person. And so he, uh, interesting enough, he was the youngest of the disciples. So when when God called John, he was the youngest of the disciples. Historians believe that he was between 15 to 17 years old when Jesus called him and he walked with the Lord, which is incredible. He's also the only, he's also the only disciple not to be martyred or murdered for their faith, that he lived into, into his 90s, which is really incredible because the life expectancy during that time was in your 40s. And there was a, a high level of, you know, infant mortality, but for someone to live into their 90s, was really amazing. So John lived a long life. He was, the, he was the last disciple to walk this earth. He was the youngest when they were called. In the book of John, what you're going to see, there's a famous quote that talks about John. It says this. It says that, that the book of John is shallow enough for a child to wade in, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. And so I don't know where you are. I don't know if you are if you are needing to wade in or if you are needing to dive in. And we have our children in here. Today is Family Worship Weekend. So I would encourage families and kids to get a Bible and to read along that John was, is written for the everyday man. In a, in a strange way, it's, it's beautifully simple yet profoundly deep. And, and they have studied John's writing. And, and um, they, they estimate that John's vocabulary was only about uh, like 6,000 words, which is equivalent today of the vocabulary of a six-year-old. Isn't that incredible that they've studied his writings? I think his vocabulary was only that of a six-year-old today. And so it's beautifully simple, yet profoundly deep. And so I am super excited about that. Um, and, and, and John 19, and I laugh about this, uh, as John is often known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
right? That's kind of his moniker, and, 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 and we refer to him as that, except for John wrote that about himself in John 19. So I don't know if that's like, you know, you ask any of my kids, say, hey, who does your daddy love, who does dad love the most? And say, oh, definitely me. So I don't know if that's true, but there was something special about John that when he followed Christ and when he became himself, he was still a young man and a boy in a lot of ways. And there's something about there's something about being a child and being a boy that, that there was not as much of a barrier when it came to affection and love. So I do believe that Jesus had this really special love and relationship with John because of his youth. So um, anyways, that's where we're going to be in the next 11 weeks, and that's who John is. And so I really, I want to encourage you to dive in deep or to wade in, whatever that looks like for you. But we are, we are going to be teaching through it. We've got a a weekly devotional in our small group series. And so my promise and guarantee is that if you participate and you step into this with all you've got this fall, that you will be changed and transformed. That, that on, on November whatever, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, you will look back and you will think, man, I'm a different person and the Lord has changed me. So um, as we jump in, I'm gonna pray and ask the Lord to speak to us now and we'll, we'll get in. Dear Lord, we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for the simplicity and the depth of of the gospel of John. God, I ask humbly that you would do something profound in us, in us individually and in us as a church, that Jesus, that every one of us would look back at this fall and think surely the Lord was here, surely God did something because what has happened and how our lives has changed and how your kingdom has been advanced because of Vessel Collective Church is only credit to you. That it's not something that we could do or manipulate. God, but it is only because you did something. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us now. Lord, that we would hear from you and not from me. God, that you would silence my words, amplify yours, that your, your scripture that's sharper than any double-edged sword, God, would pierce every one of us to the deepest part of us. And God, so I just pray for soft soil for our hearts. We thank you for this time. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to start, if you would, we're going to be in John. So if you want to raise your hand, Melissa has Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, she'd be happy to bring one to you. Or if you pull it up on your phone or grab your copy of Scripture, and I will tell you where we're going to be, and then we'll, we'll go through it. So interesting enough, this is the first week of John, but we're going to start, and I just briefly, and I'm going to have Scripture on the screen as well. We're going to start briefly in John chapter 20, which is the, the we're going to look at the last two verses of the second to last chapter in John, which seems strange. And then we're going to go all the way back to John chapter 1. So I'm telling you, if you just want to find John, it's in the New Testament. It's at the latter, uh, you know, 20% of your Bible. Um, you should be able to find it. And that's where we're going to be. We're going to look a little bit of Old Testament, but you don't need to look that up. Um, oh, it was showing. <laughs> yeah. So um, John, so if you would first look at the John chapter 20. And, and so the reason that we're going to start in John chapter 20 is as we begin praying through this, the idea is that we're going to start with the end in mind, with the end in mind. And, and there's some differences in John and the other gospels that I'll get into. But John chapter 20, verses 31, 30 and 31 say this, and this is, this is uh, Apostle John writing. It says this. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of, of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And I love this idea that that John closes his gospel account with the why. Why was it written? And he, he clearly states that he has a purpose and an agenda in writing his gospel. And, and it's interesting, if you look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, the, the, the first three gospel accounts are very different than the account of John. And the first three gospels are often recorded, uh, rec- uh, recognized as the synoptic gospels. And so they are, they are a count of what Jesus did. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they correlate really well with one another. A lot of the stories are similar. A lot of the parables, a lot of the miracles that Jesus did line up perfectly with one another. But John was different. And, and so there's a couple things uh, and reasons for that. If, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke focused on what Jesus did, the gospel of John focused on who Jesus was. And he clearly says it right here. He says that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Is that is his agenda and why he wrote the gospel. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written um, just on the eve and of the heels of the crucifixion of Jesus, the birth of the church, that, that every one of those gospel accounts were recorded immediately. John did not write his gospel until he was well into the latter part of his life. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of scholars think that he was into his 90s when he wrote his book, that many years had passed, and he was urged, that people urged him to write his own account. And, and so if you know uh, uh, other things about John's writing, John also wrote Revelation at the end of his life, that God gave John Revelation as he was in a cave in Patmos. And so John writes his gospel account in light of the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had all been written and were all being circulated. And so when John writes, there's a lot of things that he leaves out, not because a gospel account is different, because he's writing, his, he's writing the gospel of John and his book and his account based on, in light of the other three, understanding Matthew, Mark, and Luke, now he writes his own account. So there's basic things that are left out. There's never, there, he leaves out the birth of Jesus. Again, he focuses on the who and not the what. So he, he, there's no birth of Christ. There's no baptism of Jesus. There's no parables in the book of John is that he really focuses on who John is. He wrote it in the latter part of his life. And, and I love this idea, and this is what our focus and our heart really is on this idea of him inviting, is that John gives this invitation to come and see. And that's really where we landed on the title of our series as we started praying through this. And it was, it was Linda DeLulo, who we were talking one day at one of our, our, our meetings, and the DeLulos have since moved to Tennessee, um, but we were talking through at one of our board meetings about the series and what we we're focusing on this fall. And we got to this idea of come and see. And that's really that there's this invitation. And so that's the heart of what we're doing this fall is we want to come and see mentality, which is what John invites us to. And, and so these two claims that he makes are what we're going to be focusing on this morning, that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Son of God. And I want you to know that these are bold statements that John makes. He does not mince words. He is not vague. He doesn't beat around the bush. He directly says that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the Son of God. 
And so uh, we're going to rewind all the way back to John chapter 1 with the end in mind and these two claims that John says. In John chapter 1, we're going to look at these things. So the first thing that, um, that he claims and the reason that he writes this gospel is the first is, this, is that Jesus is the Messiah. So if you're reading and you have a different translation to me, yours may say that Jesus is the Christ. And a lot of times we have kids in this room, when we think about the name Jesus Christ, we think about Christ being his last name, right? Like Jake Toman. But I'm not Jake the Toman, right? I'm Jake Toman. And so Christ was not his last name. That Christ or Messiah is a title. And it was something that meant a, meant a significant amount to them uh, as they were reading this and as John was making this claim. And in a lot of ways in 2019, you know, thousands of years later, that's been lost in us is that we often think about Christ being the last name rather than a title. And so you have to understand that this idea of Messiah or Christ is really this Savior. And there were prophecy after prophecy from the Old Testament that predicted and said that the Lord was going to do this, that he was going to send this Savior. He was going to send the Messiah. He was going to send the Christ. So what John is saying is that person that's been prophesied for generations, prophecy on top of prophecy, from, from prophet after prophet, that is who Jesus is, is the, the claim that he makes. And so just, just one of those things, Isaiah chapter 53, and you don't have to flip there, uh, and I won't read all of it, but these are just a few of the, um, just few of the, the, the prophecies that are made. And this is only in Isaiah chapter 53. It says this, it says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, I'm familiar with pain. This is the, 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 the prophesied Messiah, the coming Messiah, this Savior that was going to be sent. Verse 5 and 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shear is silent. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life, and, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Verse 11 says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowing that my righteous servant has justified many. This is the Messiah that they were anticipating. It was the Savior that was going to come and, and, and be the forgiveness of every sin that was, going to, that was going to pay the price for their transgressions, that was going to set them free. It says that he was going to be pierced. He was going to be crushed. He was going to be rejected. And so that's the claim that Paul is making. It's Paul saying, the reason I wrote this gospel, the reason I wrote these words, is says, so you will know first and foremost that that is who Jesus was. Jesus is the Messiah that was promised. And so in John chapter 1, it begins with this bit of a prologue. The first five verses read like a prologue. And you don't have to read far to understand the simplicity and depth of the book of John. And this is a great example. And so uh, verse 1 uh, of John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Remember the prophecy in Isaiah 53 that said that, that he was going to be, um, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 that says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And then John begins with this prologue of sorts. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so I think the first thing for you to understand about this idea of him being the Messiah is that Jesus was always, this was the plan all along, that Jesus was always the answer, that before the existence of time, and this John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning. If you know anything about your Bible, you know there's one other book chapter and verse that has that starts with those same three words. Genesis 1, chapter 1, in the beginning God created. And so, so what John is saying is that in the beginning, before the existence of earth, before the world, world was spoken into motion, that, that the Lord was there. It says before it pre-existed everything, it pre-existed um, this earth. And so the, the idea of this being the plan all along, a lot of times we think that God sent Jesus and this idea of a savior to save mankind was like a, like a kind of a last ditch effort. We think that this was a bit of their Hail Mary play. Like we think, man, I've tried everything. I've called them my, my name. I've done these miracles. I freed them from Egypt. We did all these things. So what else am I going to do? This, this, the, the human race is literally going to hell. What do I do? I guess I'll, in a last ditch, Hail Mary effort, I will send my son to see if he can save them. And we have this mentality of that. And even the idea of it, it being a Hail Mary of sorts uh, is, is a wrong thinking, that Jesus was planned from the beginning, that God knew from the beginning of time that that was his plan. You know, last night I was watching the Texas and LSU game, um, and, and they get to the end of the game, and there's two minutes left, and Texas is down by two scores, and they're about to get the ball. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, all they got to do is score a touchdown, kick an onside kick, get that, and then score another touchdown. It's going to be fine. Like, just do that. Like, that's my Hail Mary last-ditch effort. They're going to lose, and there's no chance they're going to win. But I'm thinking, yeah, there's a way, right? Like, just do this, 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 and this, and all of that goes our way then Texas, the better team will win. Like, that's my thinking. And a lot of times we think that God did that with Jesus. He's like, man, what am I going to do? I will, like, literally the play, a Hail Mary, comes from Notre Dame and the Catholic Church saying a Hail Mary. It's the suggestion that we're going to run a play here that needs divine intervention if we're going to succeed and win. And so we think a lot of that way about Jesus. Is it like, man, the world's going to hell. What are we going to do? I don't know. I'll send Jesus as a last-ditch effort. But what he's saying about the Messiah is that he was the plan all along. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Is that who is, that's who the Messiah is. And, and John is saying that uh, this idea that the Word, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And I know that sounds interesting, but if you look in your scripture, the, 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 the word, Word, is capitalized. And that word means logos, is, is, is a literal translation. And the definition of that is a word that's uttered by a voice. And if you think about Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? In the beginning, the word was void, and the Spirit of God hovered, hovered over the earth, and God spoke, let there be light. That is how God created, that there's power in his words that for him to create the heavens and the earth and to create light, light and darkness, every creature, that he didn't come and manipulate something, he didn't take something that already existed and manipulate, that he spoke 
And by his word, it was created. And that's the power of the word. Is that God created that? It's the same idea as when Moses and he takes it when they're they're in Exxon, he goes to Mount Sinai. What does he do? He comes off the mountain after meeting with God. He brings with him stone tablets that are the Word of God. Is it that there's power in the Word? Hebrews chapter four verse twelve. It's a prayer I pray often. It says, "For the Word of God, the Logos of God, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword." It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So that's what he starts with. In the beginning was the word. And then he says something really strange. He says the word was with God and the word was God, which immediately you see the depth of John. Because I don't even understand. Okay, so in the beginning was the word, which is this idea that became flesh. And it was with God and the word was God, right? That's like me saying, uh, you know, like being with Shay. I could say that uh, I am with Shay and I am Shay, my wife. No one, that doesn't make sense. Like how, how, does that, how does that make sense? But what he does is he immediately presents the Trinity. He immediately says that this word became flesh and dwelt among us, being Jesus, the Messiah. And he says that before the creation of the earth, that he was God and he was with God. This dual or this, this, this trinity and this multiple personas of God. And so um, he, he starts with this idea. And then the second thing that's important for you to see here in these verses is that, is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, was always the plan. Not only did he exist in the beginning, but he was always the plan. That the Lord's plan was always to send his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And I want you to know that you were always worth it. That he knew that every single one of us would sin. He knew every single one of us would fall short of his glory. He knew the things that we would do, and he still created us. He still spoke the word into motion, the world into motion. He still knit you together in your mother's womb, despite knowing all the things that you did. He knew that you would struggle. He knew that you would doubt. He knew that you would have fears and insecurity, but he still made a way, and that was the plan all along. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that he sent Jesus, the Messiah, to earth for the forgiveness of our sins, which brings us to John's second bold claim. So not only does he say that Jesus was the Messiah, but he also says that Jesus was the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18, it says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, whom came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because He was before me. Again, going back to that preexistence. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. We've received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. In the book of John, John uses the word son 52 times. He uses the word father 127 times. He uses the word father as referring to the Lord 127 times, which is more than the entire New Testament, the rest of the New Testament combined. 
is that John paints this picture and focuses on who Jesus is, whereas other gospels will talk about his lineage or focus on him being a servant or, or from the line of David. And look at that. But what John does is he says who he was is he was the Messiah and the Son of God. And he focuses on this father-son relationship with Jesus and God. And I love that idea. And I think about my own life and, and my own son. As I, I, have, I have two boys. I have a almost seven-year-old. He will turn seven this month. And I have a four-year-old. And I just told Shay the other day, um, I told her, I said, I love having boys. And I, I have a daughter who, if you ask her who daddy's favorite is, she will say her. But I told you that I love having boys and I love having a son. And my relationship specifically with Keller is so special and so significant and so fun. And I love being with him. And the funny thing is, is, is uh, you can ask him, like, who is his best friend? He could say, oh, it's daddy. And I feel the same way. I mean, literally in my quiet time this week, I'm writing the Lord, just thanking him for Keller and for my relationship with him. And I, I love being with him. And Stuart and Mary Lou were over on Friday night and, and Mary Lou was like, why is your Instagram only pictures of Keller? She's like, you have two other children, but every picture I see is always you and Keller, you and Keller. And so the funny thing is that Keller and I are the same. We are the same person. We have the same personalities. We have the same interests. We like to do things together and it's so much fun, right? We we went to a football game, professional football game. We had a great time. It was just me and him on this trip. We went uh, last Sunday we, after church, we went dove hunting. And he's not old enough to hunt, but man, he's a good little retriever. So, I mean, he picked up all the birds. He shot a, he shot a can. I had a little 410 shotgun. He shot a can. And he just said the whole time, man, I love doing this, Dad. His birthday's coming up. He says, can we go dove hunting for my birthday? Like, we'll see, buddy. I can maybe make that happen. We love, playing, we love playing Smash Bros together, right, on the Nintendo Switch. We love Smash Bros. And he, at six years old, destroys me and is better at me in Smash Bros. But it's this idea of, man, I love this idea of Jesus and God having this father-son relationship where they love one another. And they're so close. And, and that's what John brings to light. That's what John says is about who Jesus is. He's the son of God. And sometimes we think about God as a father, as like this stern, fatherly figure. But we often don't think about God and Jesus playing Smash Bros together or dove hunting. (laughs) They've got better things to do than that. But that intimacy of relationship. And so there's a a few things in this scripture that I want to point out to you that I think brings light to that. And the first one says, it says this. It says, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love that this highlights the nature of the Father within the Son. Right? He says, Jesus, who came from the Father, is full of grace and truth. And I love that that's, way, that's how John, what John attributes to Jesus as from the Father. You think about what we pass down. And what I pass down to Keller is not grace and truth. What I pass down to Keller is a short attention span uh, and, and easygoing. I mean, there's good and bad things, but it says what Jesus passes down is this idea of grace and truth. And so I wonder, you know, when it's all said and done, what they will say, man, Keller, your dad passed these things down to you. And so, um, and that's what we've received through Christ. And this is so hard for the world to understand because we think about grace and truth as Christians sitting in church. Those things make sense to us. But do you understand in the context of the world we live in how conflicting grace and truth are? Is that, we've, we, that, that the truth of God's word has this hard truth to understand, but yet it's completely wrapped in grace. 
right? People can receive God's word and say, oh, that's judgment or that's hateful. That's exclusive. But the fact that it's grace and truth together is only possible through Christ. And the world has a hard time of understanding that. And then in verse 18, uh, it says this. It says, no man, and I'm going to read the King James Version. Uh, if you look up here at verse 18, it's different. I think this King James Version does a better job of the true heart of the Scripture in translation. And so John chapter 1, verse 18 King James Version says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And I love how it reads here, and it gives more clarity to this intimacy of this relationship between the Father and the Son, between God and Jesus. And and it speaks to that, that deep love in the way that they know one another. And the truth is, is that that Jesus spoke more intimately and specifically about God than anyone else because that was his father and he knew God more intimately and deeply than anyone else. And that's powerful. And I love that idea of of it saying the only begotten son, which is in, in the bosom of the father. And the bosom that literally translates to your chest, the area between your shoulders, and you think about where does a father carry a child to his chest? Where does a father hold a child that's, that's hurting or broken or sad or needs to be embraced? At his bosom. And that's the intimacy with which Jesus knew God. That's the intimacy of a relationship between a father and their son. So if you went to Keller, my son, and you said, do you know Jake Toman? That's a silly question, right? Do you know Jake Toman? If if Kelly said, yeah, I know who that is, right? No, he knows me. My six-year-old knows me better than anyone else in this room outside my wife and other children. He knows me more intimately. And he can tell you about me, but he can tell you who I am. Keller knows what it's like to be held in my arms, that my son knows that feeling. He knows what my embrace feels like. He knows the smell of me. Right? He knows what it's like for me to have my arms wrapped around him. He knows what, it, what, I, what makes me laugh. He knows the sound of my voice. Keller knows me more intimately than anyone else in this room. And that's how Jesus knew the Father. And I just want to paint this picture for you. And I want you to understand that as we walk into this, you've got to know that who Jesus was, that he was this Messiah. He's, he was this one that was sent to save the sins of the world, the one that was before the existence of everything that is eternal was in the beginning. And he was always the plan and he was the plan for you. And not only that, but this claim that Jesus was the son of God and that's how intimately he knows the father. So you're gonna see as we dive into John, you're gonna see the way Jesus speaks about God is more deep and significant and intimate than anyone else before. In a lot of ways for those Pharisees and those religious leaders, it was offensive. They say, who are you? And he says, no one gets to the father except through the son. That's how well I know him. And the scripture says that, that only the son truly knows the father. And so I love that idea. And that is a powerful truth. And so as we close this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. And I want to close with this idea of this invitation to come and see.
as we close, and, and John gives us with the end in mind, John's saying, this is written. He says, there, there are not enough books on this earth for all the words and all the things that Jesus did to be written. But, but this account of my gospel was written so that you will know so that you will know that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Son of God. That is why. So you'll know who he is, not just what he did, but who he is. And there's a spirit throughout the book of John, all 21 chapters. It's this come and see spirit. And it's said multiple times here in chapter 1. Uh, in verse 35, it, said, it, talks about, uh, it talks about John, and this is confusing as you read, you'll know this. It's not John, the writer of the Gospel of John. It's John the Baptist, which is a different John that came before Jesus. And he says, he, he, he's telling people about Jesus and Jesus is coming. He says this, he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God, just like the prophecy said, the Lamb of God, disciples heard him and they followed Jesus and they said rabbi teacher who are you who are you and Jesus says he says this come and you will see it was this invitation to follow him this invitation to come and see don't just take my word for it but come and see who I am I want you to know that's the invitation we're called into and a few verses later Philip is is a disciple of Christ. He goes to Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, you've got to come and see this guy. The Messiah is here, the Son of God. You've got to come see Jesus and meet him. And he says, who's Jesus of Nazareth? He's like, Nazareth, what good has ever come out of Nazareth? What good can come out of that? And look at, look at Philip's response. Nazareth, can anything come, uh, good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Philip said, come and see that invitation as we dive in over the next 11 weeks in your day-to-day life in your small group to come and see that Jesus is the Messiah the Savior of the world His blood was poured out of the cross for you for the forgiveness of your sins and that He was the Son of God that your value is worth His Son this week there's a, there's a little boy at Sloan and Keller School, and um, when Sloan started in kindergarten, he was just he was in his her grade or a grade behind him, and Sloan's just in fourth grade. It's her fifth year at Fern Bluff. For the past five years, this little boy that's in her grade and her age has been battling brain cancer, and has been in and out of the hospital, in and out of surgery. People praying for him. This little nine-year-old boy. Last night at 11.11 p.m., he passed away. And he breathed his life for a last breath. And I think, man, like, you're so, like, what's that like? And that's what, that's what the Lord did. He sent his son for our sins. And I want to invite you to come and see. Let's stand and we'll worship and let me pray. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.